Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 122. And we're back, back in the woods. Yep, last time we met in the woods with the van was in Wales. That's right. And Nick was here. Nick's not here today. <laughs> Nick's not here today. But very importantly, how many times has Tommy been on the podcast? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, that I couldn't work it out. I, I think three times. And I've been on Van in the Woods, around Nick's place. Yeah. We did another one. We, oh, we did a Zoom one. Yeah, and, of course, the photography show. And the photography show. Come on, Tommy. Catch up, mate. <laughs> Catch up. So we're here. Um, in Is this Hertfordshire or Buckinghamshire? It's just on the border, right? Right on the border. Tring is there. Hemel Hempstead is there. I think maybe Buckinghamshire, yeah. I think. Yeah. We're in the British countryside. In the countryside. Just enjoying the last few sunny days, I guess. It was really cold this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went out on the Vespa this morning. Did you? Yeah, I did. Um, which may have... have your big coat on. Um, yeah, I'm kind of sort of, you know, bikered up in leather. Did anyway. Right. But did you say leather? Yeah. On the Vespa? Oh, yeah. What's wrong with you? Hey, that's what we were taught. Vespa riders don't wear leather. <laughs> well, now maybe a, a leather waistcoat. Is it a waistcoat? It's not. Is it? Well, you know that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of the cold. So, you know. right. so yeah, yeah. Weird for a German Canadian. That's very true. But uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up in the south of Germany. What can I say? Okay. Well, it's nice and warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, you just. Essentially, you're just passing through on the way back from the photography show. So yeah, we exactly. take this opportunity and hook up yeah. um, and enjoy, you know, enjoy some sunshine. So by the time the episode goes out, I'll be down in Dorset. And uh, after that, I, I want to I go north in the UK if I can, because the Northern Lights, um, we're, we're approaching solar maximum. You know, I've written a book about the Northern Lights, right? We can plug it and stuff. <laughs> so everyone can go and buy it if you're interested in the Northern Lights. Well, I mean, in fact, you're... Um, your latest book was was one of the reasons why I thought it'd be a good idea okay. to get together and talk about right. the Eiffel Tower. But we'll do that in a we'll, second. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the the Northern Lights, um, the complete aurora guide for travelers and photographers. Look it up on Amazon. Um, the 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 sun runs in a roughly eleven year cycle, and at the moment we're all the, almost at the top. So we're almost at solar maximum, which is going to happen next year. Um, but because we're on the way up, and the activity is really really strong. We've, had loads of geomagnetic solar storms. There's also some interesting stuff happening with the Earth's magnetic field, because I don't know if you see the Earth's magnetic field moves, and it's moving a lot right now, like really a lot. But when we were at school, it would have been in the textbooks, it would have been north of Hudson Bay. We're way beyond that right now. <clears throat> so because of all these interesting things that are happening with the sun and with the Earth's magnetic field, the northern lights are crazy. So after Dorset and before LA, Adobe Max, which is in a month, from now, I want to try and get to the top of Scotland if I can. Um, I keep an eye on the weather and the Northern Lights and see what I get. Cool. Now, I watched the core where the Earth's magnetic field gets turned off. Right. And it has to be restarted. Yeah. By sending a spaceship drill thing into the core. <laughs> that spaceship drill thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, doesn't happen, isn't ever going to happen. <laughs> right. So the, the uh, all this stuff comes from to, to drive the Northern Lights, all the stuff comes from the sun. The stuff is plasma. It's made of uh, helium. It's helium plasma. Plasma is a state of matter uh, in between um, gas and liquid. It's neither one nor the other. It's a fourth state of matter. 
the other one being solid, of course. Um, that comes and it comes from massive ejections or explosions from the sun. Some of it's pointed at us and gets drawn into our magnetic field. And the reason we have a magnetic field is because we have an, have an iron core in the middle of our planet. And the, the mere presence of that iron core is the gravity, is the magnetism. So that that is rubbish. It's never going to happen. We never need to reset it. But it does move. It's, it's a good movie, we're going to say. Anyway, Northern Lights. Yeah. Um, so typically, I think when most people think of the Northern Lights, you think of like, you know, Northern Scandinavia, yeah. the Arctic Circle, yeah. and so forth. Um, you know, Iceland, yeah. that sort of thing. But you can actually see Northern Lights from the British shores. Yeah, you can, yeah. Um, top of Scotland is a great place for it um, when it's strong enough. Um, but they have, like historically, they've been seen in the south of France. Um, the folklore around the Scottish aurora is quite interesting because when it comes that far south, obviously you're looking towards the northern horizon to see it. So you're seeing it on above the horizon rather than overhead typically because it's to get overhead, it's got to be very, 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 very strong, like a um, above a G2 rated storm. So when they're looking north, they're seeing the upper edges of it, which would be oxygen in our atmosphere being hit by the helium plasma. And when they collide and they react, the energy they expel is light. So the oxygen in the lower atmosphere is green light. But when it's in the upper atmosphere, it's red light. And so when back in the day, when they were looking to the northern skies from the UK or from Scotland um, and seeing the red, they thought it was a great big battle in the sky and the red was the blood being shed from the warriors from the fighting. So there's lots of interesting folklore around it. One of the Canadian ones is really interesting. Um, I can't remember, there was, there's a, um, a native tribe in Canada who thought it was someone playing football with a walrus skull running around the sky with a walrus skull excellent interestingly you should never point at it if you listen to the uh who's it who's it says you never point at it it's i think it's the north norwegian so you don't point at it the um finnish uh the reindeer herders they say you shouldn't whistle at it and some uh icelanders believe that a pregnant woman shouldn't look at it or the or the baby will be born cross-eyed Oh, wow. There's some weird stuff. There. Okay. <laughs> we know what it is now. But yeah. The, the colors are interesting and they're based on the heights and the science, but the stories that go with it without the scientific understanding are very interesting. It's all in the book. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> one, one might think you'd written a book about it. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> so, um, so is that like your next move is to go and... Uh... Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to be, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in Norway in February for uh, a situation where I'll be with a friend. And so, based on Schengen visas and stuff, I don't know when I should go. If I if I take the van or if I fly, I'm still trying to figure all that out. The van's up for it. Um, maybe one more. But then after that, it's a quarter of a million miles. Yeah. It's um, it's practically dead. It's still hanging in there. Yeah. Doing all right. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll be up there in February anyway, for sure. Yeah, you went through some rough times oh, yeah. on, on your last trip. Yeah. So... <laughs> Since we last, uh, well, since we last saw each other, apart from the photography show, um, oh no, because there was the episode literally when I got back. But anyway, I got rescued, um, in Finland when it got stuck. Uh, it got stuck in Iceland, and I had to self-rescue, which fortunately worked. 
because that would have been expensive. Got blown off the road. I got stuck in northern Norway in the Lofoten Islands uh, for about a week because of two polar storms that came running through the roads. But literally, the, the snowplow went through and then it was that deep again straight away. Um, I don't know, it's done thousands upon thousands of miles around Scandinavia, Iceland, Faroe Islands, down through Germany to to the south, to uh, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Romania, Bulgaria, through Hungary. Been been to so many places. Yeah. So I'm just sorry. I'm just going to say. So last time we were here, not last time we were here. Last time we were in the woods together doing a podcast. I know I jokingly made some references to Sasquatch, but I'm just there's there's branches moving over here, and they're they're big branches. I just want you to watch your back. <laughs> right in. Okay. I've got my torch with me this time. The torch, yeah. <laughs> just shine it. Shine it to death. <laughs> yeah. Purely for present protection, clearly. Yeah. But for those um for those listeners and uh, and viewers who um who haven't seen the the original Coffee Fernware episode, uh, which the link to which I'll be putting up there somewhere, um, you've literally fitted this whole van out yourself. Yeah. yeah. So I bought this as a white sprinter van that was used by uh, a company that contracted to network rail that maintains railways in the uk um they had bench seats in the back and then the the very back end was just a van you know storage or whatever um and it's now got a double bed kitchen kind of got a bathroom it's got running water and it's got a toilet um swivel seat in the front it's got a desk it's got a couch all the storage i need and then in, in, in the storage under the bed at the back i've got my skis my ice skates several different types of hiking shoes i've got snow shoes as well yeah. um by that i mean tennis rackets rather than warm boots i've got both um it's ready for adventure at any at a moment's notice yeah as long as i can get there so you know the thing that's uh, that i was wondering really was because we did we originally did um a little sort of walkthrough mm -hmm. little video about the van um and i kind of thought i wonder because you know when you anticipate an expedition like that either. i know what you're going to say i'm going to preempt it i would change a lot of things would you okay cool well that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen a lot of so things. in hindsight i wish i'd put in a proper desk right okay so i've got a, a couch that was in the tour video with a, a table that mounts and swivels mm. and then i've got a swivel seat in the front but i wish there was a proper desk sort of setup i don't know where i would put it though because of this window so the couch is under this window yeah um so a desk would be yeah, if it was against a wall, it would be against the window because the other side is the kitchen. But yeah, a, a desk would be cool. Maybe I'll have to build another one. Mm. Maybe that's the answer. Well, that's, that might well be the answer. <laughs> well, you know, if you took everything that you've learned mm -hmm. from, you know, spending well, the best part of a year yeah. in this van, yeah. you know, apart from, you know, putting a desk in, what else would you change? Um, Maybe I'd put the bed a bit lower. I'd put the bed high so that I'd have more storage underneath it, but it's just a tiny bit too high. So if it dropped another 20 centimetres, I think that would be the perfect height. So that would be 80 centimetres off the ground at that perfect position. At the moment, it's one metre up. Um, the insulation is perfect. So, I mean... that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's there's 50 millimeters of insulation on every surface, all the way around. <clears throat> so, uh, when I turn uh, like in Finland, in Lapland at the top there, I was down to minus 37 degrees and I was fine. 
I had the heater running to keep it warm. And once, you know, once you've heated it up and turned the heater off, the heat stays inside. I did stick my hand or get my hand stuck to a tripod on the same night that it was minus 37 when I was doing a time lapse of the Northern Lights and I went outside and I thought, I'm only going to be quick. I don't need to put my gloves on. Should have put my gloves on because my hand got stuck to the tripod. My camera was glitching and everything. You didn't lick it, did you? <laughs> I didn't lick it. No. Um, but yeah, no, the, the insulation's fine. So all of that, the the, the tyres and the wheels that I've got on are great for going off-road off and on tracks and on the ice, on the snow. Everything was fine. There was only two occasions where I had to put the chains on, on the tyres. One was in Iceland when it was, um, there was a huge storm. And uh, I was driving through the mountains in the dark and, Basically, when you've got a crosswind in the mountains, it suddenly is there and suddenly it's not. And so you can you can get blown off the road quite easily. So I had the chains on there. And I also had the chains on for a bit in Lapland, where I was in a, a national park, Palace Lestunpin National Park, um, which is where it was minus 37. It was a different, it was uh, after it was minus 37 that I had the chains on there, probably because of the slopes and the weight. Three and a half times worth of van on icy, snowy, steep inclines is not ideal so i just had the chains on for just a bit of security peace of mind yeah. it makes you drive slower as well like yeah. when you've got the chains on <clears throat> they're clonking going tuk, 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 all the way around and so it, it slows you down and makes you drive better in those conditions yeah because that's i mean there's two um sides to it on one hand is of course you know it's like your own personal like survival because you're literally living in the van at those extreme temperatures yeah um but it, on the other side, you know, you're there for a reason because you're, you know, shooting images, yeah. producing videos and all the rest of it. So the other thing is like keeping you gear, it, you know, yeah. a situation where you can actually. So the gear's got to be accessible by me, but not accessible by anyone who wants to try and steal it. Yeah. As all the charging and everything has to be taken care of. And that's all there. So the, all the power that I have, the, the solar panel is 380 watts, but I've also got a DC to DC charger. So when the van's on, is charging my house batteries in the back, which is 300 amp hours of lithium iron or LifePo 4, lithium iron polymer 4. Good battery. The same as the Tesla. Basically a Tesla. Right. This is basically the Tesla van. There you go. You've heard of ours. Yeah, exactly. Loads of, uh, loads of power and loads of um, charging options. So there's USBs and power sockets all over the place in there. Uh, and that wasn't a problem at all. But that was only not a problem because I tested it before I left properly with a trip to Scotland where I figured that I had the wrong kind of batteries. I had, um, what's it called? Gel acid? I had gel acid batteries where you can only use half the power. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the battery just dies. So, changed it to the right ones and I've not had an issue. Um, as a photographer working and living in a van, it's really cool. It's really good fun. You get to see loads of things. You get to wake up and awesome places especially when you arrive in the dark and you don't know what it looks like you wake up the next morning and see an epic view <clears throat> it's it's really cool it's a really good adventure yeah yeah it's nearly it's nearly time to get a house <laughs> go back to normal <laughs> nearly time to get out but it's really good fun yeah um when i when i do get rid of it i'm gonna either have a small van or a four by four that i can use to do similar things and have adventures yeah you know we'll get there that'll be another episode yeah when it happens <laughs> fantastic and of course you went when you you know when you came back from uh scandinavia from that trip you then went into europe yeah uh 
Are, are we getting to the when the van got broken in bit? Are we getting to there? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm trying to figure out. Okay, so um, I went down uh, through. So I went. I flew. I parked in Copenhagen in Denmark. Flew to Iceland to do some stuff with Russell Round from Adobe um, with the Fire and Ice project, where we had a fire breather in the ice cave. That was awesome. Um, flew back and then drove down Denmark, Germany, uh, Austria, Slovenia. Croatia. So that was the ed- exiting the Schengen area was Slovenia into Croatia. And my plan was to be there for another 90 days. Um, but uh, things got a bit hairy. Putin started being silly. And I, having gone from like this awesome winter wonderland into somewhere where I had um, like Caribbean looking seas and sun shining on me. I was out of place and out of sync and it isn't my forte. I, I can do it, but it's not really my thing. Um, I decided to try and make the most of it and was initially going to go towards Turkey, but I ended up because of the Russia, Ukraine situation, changing my plans and constantly changing my mind as well. Should I go? Should I turn back? What should I do? And I went through, uh, into Bosnia, Herzegovina into uh, Serbia and in Serbia I just felt weird going oh look it off it was a bird uh, I just felt weird I felt something wasn't quite right and there it's not um, how do I put this politely it's not as up to date as the UK and the roads are out of shape and there's a lot of crime and I was woken up one night at about 3 a.m., I think it was, to two guys trying to break into the back door. Um, and the back door now is screwed. Um, I had to, I couldn't get it fixed. I couldn't even get it open because they'd broken everything. Um, needless to say, I chased them away and we won't go into a great amount of detail on that and how that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't get the doors fixed. I couldn't get into the back doors to get stuff that was in there. So that's one factor is that I couldn't get to certain things. And then the other factor to do with coming back is um, the Ukraine situation. I was driving up and the, the route took me into Romania where I was going to go to Dracula's castle. I was going to go to a few other places in the Carpathian mountains. And um, everything was kind of against me, especially thinking I'm a stone throw from Ukraine. And if the wind's blowing in the wrong direction and Putin does something stupid, that's game over. So I decided to come back, adding all these things together. I decided to come back. So I came back to the UK and serviced the van again and um, went up to Scotland and Wales and had a little adventure there instead. So things don't always go to plan, but that's not the end of the world because we adapt and we overcome, don't we? Yeah, for sure. Especially in our industry as self-employed creatives, we have to adapt and overcome. Otherwise, in the same sense, it's, it's game over then as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's what roughly what happened. Yeah. And then after that, you went you went back to France, I think, on a little yeah court trip. So Pete Dreadway uh, <clears throat> rode to. Well, you, it's London to Paris, but he actually rode Essex to Paris um, with uh, with his neighbour Jim, and uh, I was the support vehicle, and it was it was good fun. So they rode from uh, Pete's place in Essex. Uh, to East London where they were going to go on the velodrome track mm. 
didn't make it in time because of a chain snap. Uh, but then carried on, we fixed the chain, carried on through London to Trafalgar Square to the start point. So they'd already done 40 miles or something by the time they got to the start point. Um, and then rode to Paris within 24 hours. Um, and so I was just, we were just bunny hopping and I was feeding them baguettes and macaroons and eclairs and croissants and stuff <laughs> along the way just to keep them fueled up. And Did you open up the, the window all their water? Like, little, like a little countertop, <laughs> sending croissants. <laughs> Ice creams or hot dogs or something. Sugar That's a great way to make some extra money on the side. <laughs> yeah, or just pitch up in places like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Open the side door. <laughs> roll up, roll up. <laughs> so now that you're uh, back in the UK, yeah. for the time being anyway, yeah. you're, you're still technically living in the van. Yeah. Okay, so how, like, I think what a lot of people might be interested in is like, where, like how do you find places to stay for the night, for example? Like, how, how easy is that? Um, there are apps. Um, the apps are... And they give you an idea. So this place, I don't think is on the app, but there's another parking place just down the road that is. Um, ideally, so if, if we're going into van life, ideally you want to find your handful of places, especially if you're working in a particular area, you want to find your handful of places that you know and that are safe, that you can trust to, to sleep in, um, that are not on these apps, so you don't get other people turning up. Because the, the problem is, like I'll turn up and stay somewhere for a day or two and keep myself to myself. I might get a chair out if it's nice out and work on my laptop. But other than that, I'll be in the van, um, working on the table or the desk. I'll be cooking inside. But people don't see that. People think that people that live in vans are making a mess and causing chaos. Well, in fact, we're not. If you look around, there is some trash here, but it doesn't come from people living in vans. It comes from sometimes dog walkers, it comes from kids turning up in the middle of the night to smoke some weed and listen to loud music, throwing things out of the car window. But people living in vans seem to get the blame. And I can understand it, but it's wrong. <laughs> it's not true. Um, so finding your own handful of places that you, you're you safe in is, is a good idea. So when you're over in continental Europe, however, there are a, there's an app called Park for Night, number four, Park for Night. Um, it's loads of places that motorhomers and vanners have, have been and they add it to a map and say why it's good or, you know, if some of the you know, campsites are on it as well. There's loads of places. Uh, in America, there's an app called iOverlander, which is very similar. So, yeah, finding your own place, making sure you're safe and secure uh, and making sure, just like when you go hiking, just making sure you leave no trace. They say take foot, take foot, uh, take photographs. Take memories, leave only footprints. No. That. That's better to do it. Are the laws different in continental Europe? Um, yeah, there's a lot of places that, where you can't wild camp. And the definition of wild camp varies, obviously, from place to place. Wild camp is going to wilderness with a tent. Vans aren't a tent. Um, in the UK, we barely have any wilderness. So you're on someone's land. Right. So you need permission from them or or the fact that they don't care um and then the netherlands for example <clears throat> there's so many people with so little land that it's just illegal right you you have to go into a campsite or whatever else so um yeah you have to know the laws of the country you're going to and abide by them of course the netherlands are a great country to camp actually well, the, Nether the netherlands is uh, 
in terms of caravans and motorhomes, people of the Netherlands are probably like the, the biggest fans of it. If you're anywhere in Europe, you're always going to see Dutch number plates on cars and caravans and campers. They're, they, they're big fans. So it's weird that it's illegal there, but yeah, they don't have much space. I found a few spots right. when I was there. <laughs> but, you know, we'll leave that. My tra- if you go to my website, idavewilliams.com forward slash track, you can see everywhere I've been. So you'll be able to do the math and figure out where I've stayed overnight <laughs> on the map. So only a few days ago, we've met at the photography show. Met. Reunited. Reunited. Let's go reunited. Reunited. Photography show. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Where was Nick? I'm going to keep saying where's Nick. <laughs> where was yeah. Nick? Hmm. Anyway. Not here. Anyway, so um, that's a great show, man. Yeah, absolutely. So um, last year being the first year after the pandemic um was interesting really wide corridors you couldn't really tell if it was busy or not because everything was so spread out but this year using that same bigger space that they used last year everything's kind of back to normal spaces are tighter there are more exhibitors i didn't notice really many absent exhibitors um the ones i i do know were absent i know why they were absent and so and all the big players were there, Nikon, Canon, Sony, yeah. Fuji, everyone, DJI, all the big ones were there. I think so. We're getting back to normal. Yeah, the only big brand, I guess, uh, that I noticed wasn't there um, in terms of camera brands was Panasonic. Yeah. Yeah. Were they not there? No. I think they had a little something on someone's Wex or someone. No, okay. maybe. That's, yeah, that's possible. But yeah, no, they would be expecting the Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, um, Schiff was there, Panasonic Lum- Luminary, Lumin- um, an ambassador for Panasonic. Right. Shiv Verma was there yeah. on the Platypod stand with Larry. Exactly. Um, and I just want to congratulate Larry on his invention, the Platyball, which won Best in Show. Best in Show, exactly. And there it is. Fantastic. Well, should we dive into the table? Yes, absolutely. We need, yeah. we need to play with some of these things <laughs> from the film. From the photography show. So yeah, so we've got some stuff at the photography show. It's, uh, it's always a great opportunity to get good deals. Platypod. Extreme. This is just finished shipping Kickstarters. It's shipping now from normal orders from the website. And the Platypod, which has been shipping for quite some time now, with incredible success. I don't think you've actually had your hands on an Extreme, have you? Uh, I haven't. There's one. Well, how's it felt? It's really good. Obviously, I had a, had a look at... At the extreme, at the photography show, oh. but um, and Larry demonstrated mm-hmm. all the new, you know, the new functionalities. Yeah. Um, so the extreme is a little bit smaller than the Max, and the <clears throat> there are more ways to use it. Let's put it that way. There are more ways to use it. There are more holes to screw things, attach things, tighten things. You can use the goosenecks. Um, which uh, hold onto clamps, elbow joints, and various other things. Uh, you can just twist, pull and twist the spikes, which are built in, to lock them into place like that. And they've got two angles sp- facing down for the spikes. Or you turn them upside down, so you've got the rubber cap, which w- paste, which faces straight down. Um, but they're attached, so you can't lose them. You can't the amount of spikes I've lost is crazy. But yeah, you can't lose them this time. It's all built in. It's one package. It's flush. Do you know there are six patterns in the little in the pairing you've got in your hand? There are six patterns. Really? Yeah. 
I know what two of them are. I don't know what the rest are. <laughs> well, it's an amazing thing because, uh, you know, it, it seems, the basic idea seems so simple. Mm -hmm. You know, you just basically create a plate yep. that you could put your, your ball hat on yep. and, you know, put your camera on. Um, and you could put, you know, place your camera on the floor, especially, uh, as in this case, low to the floor, which, yeah. which is an interesting idea in the first place. Um, but you can also strap this yeah. on any pole, tree, yep. fence, yep. whatever. So you can so get you elevated position. Strap it on using these, or you can use the spikes as hooks and hook it on. Yeah. I've, uh, I've put the spikes that way recently in Switzerland with the platter ball on its side like that. The camera mounted, so it's sitting on a fence post, reinforced with the strap on a, you know, a horizontal fence post. Strap, camera, and then there's a train over there going through the mountains that I've got a lot of exposure of. The, the combinations are crazy, um, it, but it, essentially if you need lightweight yeah. stability when you're shooting, that's a setup for you. Well, that's the thing, I mean, this fits in like any small bag, yeah. and it's no need to, to carry a whole tripod around with you, which, exactly. is, which is incredible. Um, and it evades the tripod bullying. <laughs> yeah, and that. These crazy people in their yellow jackets, no tripods. Well, they look at it, they think you can see the cogs turning. Yeah. They realize there's something wrong with it, but it's not a tripod, and so it's not breaking the rules. Yeah. And by the time all these processes have happened, you've got your shot and you're out. You know, the other thing that's that's really genius, in my view, is the way that you tighten and loosen the actual ball out. Because uh, normally, you know, if like things that you turn or twist or whatever, or, you know, or tighten, but here, you've got two buttons. Yep. One to tighten the whole thing up. Yep. You literally just pump the button and that's yep. it. It's rocks, it literally is rocks on it. Yep. And then you have another button to loosen it and it's super easy. Yeah. Ergonomic. As ergonomic, yeah. It sits in the hand. So, so. When I'm in the cold and I've got my thick gloves on, I can pump the buttons and twist the cog. Yeah without worrying about what does what firstly where i've got you know sometimes three things sticking out from a yeah. ball bed i know what does what and i can operate it with gloves on so you know what i thought i thought about this the other day especially when i came home from um from the uh, photography show i kind of thought well this is amazing when you're you know a travel photographer when you're a landscape photographer you know that sort of thing um, or cityscapes i mean just imagine you know, yeah. Being able to go into a city, to London or yeah, something. But now the tripod is right in the city. It's fantastic. And then I thought, how useful is this for me as a portrait photographer? And then I realized that when I shoot the three heads in a row project, I'm literally sitting against a board which doubles as a table. Yeah. Right. And the way I shoot that is, is I have my elbows on the board yep. and I'm holding the camera that's that's exactly what I know that's that's a perfect situation to have yep. you know a platted portfolio and if you if you weren't doing that where you're moving ever so slightly each time every shot's going to be exactly yes exactly so you know and I thought okay well this is this is a typical situation where it's coming extremely handy so any tabletop shots anything like that um, this thing can can be um, the other thing is as well with the ball head is it doesn't need to go on a platter pod it can go on your tripod yeah exactly so it's a standard uh, three-eighths, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Three-eighths screw at the bottom. So it will go on top of any tripod. But just as a ball head, this is, you know, extremely useful. This is, see, this is what Platypod does. It captivates people. Yeah. It just, they just, oh, what can I do with it? What can I do? Because that's the thing, you know, even, even when you're, even when you're shooting um, on a, on a regular 
standard tripod, mm. you know, um, let's say he's shooting portraits or headshots, yeah. you know, I always shoot, I don't shoot freehand. I shoot with a tripod. I like it because I can step away from it. I can talk yep. to the can tether it subject. Usually. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, but I'm, I'm forever, you know, adjusting it. And so at the moment, the tripod I'm, or the head that I'm using um, has basically two two levers. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to remember which one's which and what they do. Yeah. And although I've had this tripod for about 10 years, I still can't remember it. So Can't get wrong there. Yeah, you really can't. It's fine and loosen, and then... It's so ergonomic. Cog, so if you hold it in your... Le- it's designed to be held in the left hand yeah. because you're shooting with your right hand. Sure. So your thumb will then fall on yeah. the cog. You know, and it's it's so easy, and it's so rock solid as well. So yeah, Larry, uh, Larry won best in show for that, and it's clear why. <laughs> Not surprising <laughs> at all. Yeah. So, uh, Sense Labs. Let's look at Sense Labs. Oh, yeah. Sense Labs. Um, Ian Sayers from Sense Labs was talking a lot. He was on the live editing stage a few times. I think he was on the photo live stage as well. But he was talking at least twice a day. And it's clear why, because he's a great educator and he backs a great product, which is the Sense Labs uh, tablets. This is the medium. There we go. Oh, very nice. The medium tablet with quick keys. Oh, that's it. And then there's the case with the pen and the pencil. Uh... There we go. Now, this is going to sound weird. Cause I've, I've reviewed this now, and I, it was hard to describe this. Just draw. It's going to sound weird, but just draw. Doesn't it feel good? It feels very nice, yeah. I can't, I can't explain why, but it does. It's, the surface is slightly different from a wax. Yeah, it's not too smooth. Yeah. But there's a little bit of resistance. It's really thin. Uh, the... The pen nib and the and the material of the tablet just work together. It just feels mm-hmm. right. And another thing is there are no um, gaps anywhere. So I don't know about you, but when I was using tablets before Sense Lab exist, Sense Labs existed, I'd quite often have a snack while I was editing and find some crumb. <laughs> but there's nowhere for the crumbs to fall, yeah. <laughs> which is really handy. But then at the front here, there's a curve where yeah. it takes it down to five millimeters, yeah. which is perfect for your wrist so there's no bump there's no corner there's nothing yeah. to make you uncomfortable that's actually one of my major or my main criticisms um about the the wacom tablet mm. um that i that i use you know day in day out yeah. is um i have so my desk is like a basically it's a slab of old wood right and it has what's called a wild edge mm-hmm. um, on the front so that's a natural slope and so what i tend to do is especially when i have like longer editing sessions i pull the whole thing forward so that my wrist sits on that yeah. natural slope yeah and that's the way i get around that but you know but you've had to find a way around but it. i had to find a way around this it. has already got the way around it yeah built in and the quick keys as well so that's interesting you've got eight programmable buttons you've got a dial which is a button um and you can customize these to each individual program right so if you when you open photoshop it opens your preset for photoshop when you open illustrator right. it opens your preset for illustrator but then you can toggle through your presets as well okay um, and the whole thing lasts something like 17 hours right? with a, a Bluetooth connection. So it charges through USB-C, Bluetooth, Bluetooth 5 as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, Wacom uses Bluetooth 4.1 and Sense Labs uses Bluetooth 5. And the difference is largely in the um, security and the reliability of the connection. Right. So you can have a bunch of these in a room, like 30, 40, 50 in a room. 
without interfering with each other with a secure connection back to the dongle. Cool. And the dongle, where I say the dongle, it's in here. Oh no, it's not. It's plugged in. It's in my laptop bag. Tiny little USB dong, USB or USB-C dongle that plugs in, connects it so that you've got that stable, secure connection. And, the, okay, so without wanting to upset you as a Wacom user, this is going to kill Wacom. <laughs> okay. Absolutely going to kill Wacom. The price point is great. It's it's cheaper. It's also cheaper for what it is. The quick keys aren't a, a thing with Wacom. Right. Um, they have a small and a medium, and then the medium SE. Um, but I, I, it, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a screen version coming right. soon. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. But I think they've perfected what they've got. The thing about tablets is, uh, I would say probably that you know the vast majority of tablet users use a standard tablet, you know, rather than um, you know Wacom makes some incredible products, especially like the you know the huge um, oh, the, the Cintiq. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for I think for the average user, for the ed- for the average photographer, yeah, you know, who's moved on from editing with the mouse to using a, yeah. a tablet. That's the kind of tablet we're yeah. really talking about 99% of yeah. the time, I think. So that's 300 and, uh, it's about $300 between 250 and 350 I can't remember the exact price, but it's about 300 Whereas the Wacom, you're looking at between 50 and $100 more for the equivalent, which would be the Intros Pro. Um, but again, the quick keys are on there, so it's not actually equivalent. It's just the tablet size and rating is equivalent mm. but the sense labs one is better but his thing sense labs was started by people that worked at wacom and they they didn't they couldn't progress with the technology that and the designs and the engineering that they wanted to and so they went and made sense labs and unleashed all that creativity and bought out this epic product so that very much reminds me of um what happened with marshall Marshall, yeah, that's the sounds, yeah, for all the all the guitarists listening to this, um, and another company called Blackstar, mm-hmm. um, which was exactly the same thing, you know, same situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Blackstar was, as far as I remember, was started by former Marshall employees who were not happy with the way things were going, had some other ideas, and you know, and turned that into into a very successful amplifier brand. You know, yeah. so that's so. And the other thing for me. Is I've tried loads of Wacom stuff. I had the one, the Cintiq, the uh, a Cintiq 16-inch display, the Intuos and the Intuos Pro, and each of them had problems that stopped me from using it. Battery lives, the connectivity, lag. There was always each of them had a problem, and I've had this for six months now. This wasn't from the show; they were just at the show. And I love it. It's great. It's revolutionary. And that's a big word. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lifex tablets. I don't really. Lindiris is using one. Yeah. Dave Clayton's using one. Yeah. Tony Harmer's using one. The, all these serious photographers and designers are using them. And that tells you something. Of course. Yeah, it's a great product. What else have we got? What else have we got? DJI. Well, so now, this is something I know you want to play with. So I, I you talk about it. Yeah, DJI. <laughs> um, that's a really interesting product that uh, that only recently. Um, came out so dji have gone into the microphone business yeah um they have brought out um the uh, dji wireless mics um a direct competitor to Rhodes wireless go-to's mm-hmm. um and i had a little bit of spec sheet and i have to say 
there's some really interesting little features yep. in here. And that's it's even more interesting when we consider the price point as well. So, so that's a number of things. So first of all, the system is very similar. We've got a receiver, which is a stereo receiver. It basically receives two mm-hmm. uh, two mic signals. Yeah, and then oh, you can you can mono each one. Yes, or you can stereo them together. Exactly, that's crazy. So that's crazy. <laughs> but that's uh, that's uh, very similar to uh, to the Rode Wireless Go twos. Um, so we've got these two individual units. So in terms of size, they again they're very similar to the Go twos. They're not square, so probably all, all in all a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do like about them is the, the magnetic clip thing, though. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it, it, give it a go with two hands, it's really strong. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's one of these things that I can't even get off. Um, but you basically, you have a clip, so you can clip this on somebody's clothing, and you know that's fine, but you also have a magnet where you can essentially magnetize it yeah. and use the magnet for it, which is, uh, which is very cool. So, there we go. In principle... There's the, the magnet there. That's it. And so... Oh yeah, so <laughs> there we go. We'll do it in my pocket. The magnet in the pocket. Put the microphone there, and it's and it's super strong. In fact, so strong, so strong you can't get it off <laughs> without breaking my neck. <laughs> Terrible thing. Anyway, so so in principle, this is a very similar system to the road system. But here's the thing: there are a number of mod differences. Mm-hmm. The first thing is is that I actually prefer the screen on the um, on yeah. the receiver. Um, it's an OLED touch screen that's very responsive and yeah. very, so if you swipe down, you'll get some exactly settings. So that's that's the first thing. So you've got a touch screen. You can move through some settings. It's you know it's much more intuitive yeah. uh, in terms of the way that that is uh, that's used. But the other thing, and this is huge for me anyway, is that whilst on the wireless go to you have um, you have a mini. Uh, jack output, yeah. which can double as a headphone output, right? If you connect it to, let's say, your phone via the USB-C port, yeah. But of course, what happens is when you connect to your camera, you need to use the mini jack output, and then that doesn't give you an opportunity to monitor directly from the device. Yeah. With this one, this has an output, but it also has a mini jack headphone output. Yeah. So you can not only the transmitters it. also have an input, so you can use the whole system. Yeah. With if you've if you've already got a better lav mic, yes. then this is on its own. You can just plug in your better lav mic, use it just as a transmitter, yes, exactly. a range of two hundred and fifty meters, yeah. and you can monitor it at the other end. Exactly, and but you can also monitor it on your phone because that yeah. that receiver plugs into your camera, plugs into your phone, plugs into anything with a USB C. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the other thing is, I mean, and here's, here's the difference is, and we are going to talk about a direct comparison um, another time on an episode, but. You know, this one gives you 14 hours of recording time, whilst the wireless go to gives you seven hours. I mean, seven hours is a lot. Seven hours is a long time. Yeah. If you if you podcast or something and you save bits and pieces here and there that are still on the microphone. Yeah. You know, it's a difference. It's uh, when I used the the wireless go to at the at the show. Um, it, it generally speaking performed really well. With the results were really well. There was there was one instance um, where if you remember, the receiver wouldn't turn off. Yeah. Um, and there's no way around that. There was no way around there's it. There's no battery to remove. There's no. There's nothing no. you can try. Exactly. So uh, eventually it worked. But um, um, so the battery power is, uh, the recording time is is enhanced on this. But the other thing also, it comes to this really cool charging case. Yeah. So that's awesome. And then a bag. So all your cables 
are in the bag, mm. your windshields or dead cats or fluffy yeah. cat, whatever you want to call it, they're all in the bag. Does it and come with lemon? That comes, no, just the oh, just attachments. But it comes with a, a jack and it comes with the USB-C to charge the whole system. Right. So this really is uh, it's a really good system. And it feels good, doesn't it? It does feel good. This too. makes a difference to me. I was trying to explain with the tablet just now, but when something looks good and feels good, yeah. it's a good product. It's, you can tell it's well made, when, well engineered and yeah. thought through. But it's also 30 pounds cheaper yeah. than the wireless go too. So that is the killer. I mean, you really have a system here that's um, at least from the outside, and I haven't actually heard the audio quality of it, of it just yet. But from the outside, this is a this is a system that actually slightly outperforms um, the road version, mm-hmm. and it's thirty quid cheaper. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, you know, and it comes in a small box. Um, the box is the charger. The box is the charger. Exactly, it's fantastic. Yeah. So um, I know a lot of people are really excited about this at the show. Um, I think I think I saw quite a few of those. I think they sold out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what else sold out? Kaylee Greer's book, Dog Dogtography. Awesome. So she was there. She was speaking at the show. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to have her on the podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. So Katie's going to episode. Katie's going to be on the podcast. Um, probably some. I guess sometime end of October. Soonish. Soonish. Yeah. yeah. Within the next few months. Well, she's going to Spain for Barcelona. Right. Yes. So the, right, yeah. uh, what's it called? The workshop. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, so that was that was great. I mean, we've met a lot of people at the show. Um, a really... See, this is the thing about in-person events. I'm doing the uh, Kelby One Travel Photography Conference, and it's staying online, the next one. I think they're going to review things after that. But for me, in four weeks from now, being at Adobe Max, like being at the photography show, is game-changing because it's all about networking, seeing people. It's not necessarily about, for me, about learning or products. It's more about the people. Yeah, 100%. You get that in person. You don't get that. No matter how hard you try, you don't get that with a Zoom meeting. It was really interesting, you know, when um, I spoke to a whole range of people um, last week and everybody kept saying exactly the same thing. You know, it's all about the social aspect. It's about making connections. It's about networking. Giving someone a hug that you haven't seen for a year. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) That's That's what it's about. So, um, you know, and I think... That it's easy to forget that when you just think of it as you know a whole bunch of exhibitors just showing stuff yeah. and gear, you know? and so yeah. um, I think you know my experience at the show has been, you know, for the last two years, it's really all been about the social connections. I mean, last year I didn't buy a thing at the show, and this well, this year I felt compelled. What did you buy? I bought a backpack. Go get ta da! Oh yeah. There. B-roll, B-roll of the bag. <laughs> B-roll of the bag. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, so I bought, um, I bought a new bag. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, I'm very Add good. to your collection of bags. I have a massive So I have a theory that all, all photographers will buy, you know, one of this, one of this, one of this, one of this, but they've all got at least 10 bags. Oh. At least. I officially have more bags. I own more bags than my wife, and that's that's going to mean <laughs> something, you know. She's She's beaten me on the shoes, but... Hey, you know, one can never have too many bags. So what's special about this one? What What is it? Uh, well, it's a, it's a low pro flip side BP 400 AW3. Okay. Backpack, 400 is the size. <laughs> yes. All weather AW3. Yeah. So there's a little pocket in there that folds out. Exactly. Right. right. Okay. And uh, and it's a flip side, meaning that it opens from, from the, back. the back. Exactly. 
So that, um, we've decoded the name. That's it. Um, <laughs> so I mean, you know, the thing for me was, you know, I I went to the photography show knowing that I was going to have to drag quite a bit of gear around with me, and I thought, um, for some reason, I thought it'd be a good idea to bring like a messenger style bag, you know, like a sling bag, which was genius. Uh, <laughs> which oh. I see. Well, within the first two hours, I realised that that was a bad mistake. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it was, it was literally pulling my spine out of shape. Um, and I remember I complained to you about that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I thought like, well, I'm in the perfect spot. I'm just going to go and find find myself an awesome backpack type of a thing. And mm-hmm. I, I came across those. But I, I have to say, um, it looks pretty sturdy. It looks pretty sturdy. Yeah. And it has a, a number of really cool features, which I love. I mean, you know, just simple things. Like, for instance, you know, just a simple thing. It's got a reinforced top here. So if you've got stuff in the front, mm-hmm. um, it actually has a reinforced top and bottom. So, so even if it falls on the floor this way around, it won't break okay. anything because what is that? Not. It's just plastic. Okay. Go inside. Um, you know, it's completely weatherproof and it has like a thing that goes over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but it stands up. This is a, again, this is the only one of my bags that does this. Actually, when you stand out, it just it stays there. It stays there. It doesn't oh, fall over like magic. I know. So you know, no more worrying that your that your bag's going to fall over. It'll just stay there. Um, yeah, it's yeah. It opens up from the back, but it, you can also use it as a side loader. So if you reconfigure the interior, let's say you're out on a street photography trip or something, you know, where you, where you need to get your your camera in and out, you know, all the time, then a side loader is actually really quite practical yeah. because you don't have to take your whole backpack off. Um, so you can reconfigure it to work in that way, um, or you can just block it off from the inside. So if you want to use it as a as a back loader to keep it safe and secure, then nobody can actually access. Your, your gear from the side mm. so that's that's cool that's a that's a really good advantage and um you know as far as the interior is concerned it really fits a whole ton of stuff so it's got the usual laptop um ipad pouch you know yeah. parts for cables it comes with this built-in um pouch for little stuff bits and bobs that you can take out if you want well there's a, everyone's got cables and most bag companies don't think about where the cables are going to go. Exactly. That's where they're going to go. Cables, batteries. Microphone. Lav mic, mm. little, like, little crap, you know, whatever. All that goes in there. Perfect. And then, of course, you can configure the rest of it in any way that you want. Um, but I haven't really gotten to give us for what I'm actually going to... Mm. You can change it every time. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's Depending like... on what you're taking, what lenses you have. Yeah, and you've got plenty of these little, these little elements. Oh, and there's another little thing. I tell you what, that in itself was genius. It's a little thing. So this is one of the um, kind of elements that you use to mm-hmm. to uh, space off your yeah. space. Um, but then it has this thing for memory cards. Okay. Memory cards in it. So or another little. So the toxic camera bags, who are under the umbrella with three-legged thing, mm-hmm. they have a similar divider that's spaced in between like that. Right. But it's for your cables. Oh, brilliant. But you know, I suppose you can put anything in it. Yeah, you can put anything in there. Yeah, I mean, it's you know. So all in all, this is a you know, this is a magical find at the photography show, and and it saved your back. And it saved my back. Oh my god, the second day was so much better. I tell you, I mean, literally, all my back pain was was gone. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, what else about this back? Well, it obviously has a front, like a front bit. Is it comfortable? That's the big yeah, super. That's the best thing about it. And the uh, you know, tripod space. It's got tripod space, or you can put a water bottle in there if you want. Okay. Um, so that's flexible. That was got, obviously, got stuff, you know, 
you can put keys on that, whatever. Um, it's just got space in the front. Yeah, it really, um, that's cool. As far as backs are concerned, I'm super happy with this one. Cool. Lopro, obviously a specialist in bags as well. So they've got all the practice and experience to make something yeah. that cool. You can really see, um, you know, the, the development over time because there, there are a lot of little features in it. They're really like little small improvements that make a big difference. Yeah. You know, this, this enforcement here. Yeah. That's genius. It's genius. Right. And the same thing in the bottom. And it's only a little addition. It's only a little addition. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, very, very, very useful. Uh, that's a, another little thing. Again, it's just a little thing, but it's in its, in its own little way, it's, it's genius. So when you've got the back sitting on the on the floor like this and you're loading it, right? Then when you pick it up, traditionally you would basically grab, you know, the backpack straps and pick it up. But this one just has a little handle it. How's oh, that? I like it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, just to get it from the middle. Yeah. Perfect. It makes perfect sense. Well, that's great. Little things, little things. So, um, very useful thing. Um, and of course, you know, since I picked it up at the photography show, and this is, uh, you know, um, we go there for the great prices. Well, we go there for the great prices, but then uh, you can remember, like with, you know, a lot of the exhibitors have, of course, they have your bags and whatever else on show. Yeah. And if you, you can haggle and you get, to, you know, the knock a little bit off the price, even off the show price. So that's cool. I probably saved all in. I probably saved about sixty quid. Let me tell you the trick to the photography show if you want gear is that the exhibitors don't want to take anything back uh, that's it they don't because it's too much effort loading a van up too much effort yeah so last day go and get your bargains yeah if there's if they've still got what you want yeah because like okay. the dji mic sold out yeah um there's another thing here i want to show you what's that so i don't know if you noticed i've been doing a lot more mobile photography oh yeah oh yeah this right Right, lots of companies are doing phone grips right, to help you with your photography with your phone. Not many have got it right or have done it well. This is a Shift Cam Pro Grip. So I saw you use that on Instagram, I think. Our beautiful. Super curious about what that does. Phone slides in really easy. It's a charger. So you see there are two buttons here where the phone twists and reveals two buttons. Yeah. One is the Bluetooth connection, one is to turn on the charger. So when you turn the charger on, it's a wireless connection. Mm -hmm. I, don't th I think I need to charge it. Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. Um, it's got a hand grip, but you can change that if you want for a shoulder strap or whatever. Yeah. And the button's right there. So when you've got your camera on in either portrait or landscape, yeah. it's more like a camera, but it's ergonomic as well. Yeah. So your fingers fit underneath on the shutter and then there's a place for your thumb you can get lenses for this thing you can get um wide ultra wide you can get 230 degree fisheye or you can get like a 70 mil macro uh 70 mil telephoto for it but and it, oh and it attaches to the tripod there are there are so many cool things about this particular one that beat all the others in my opinion though mm -hmm. this is the first one i've found where i've thought it's actually doing its job just right shift cam pro grip and also if you're watching your netflix it stands up. Oh, hey. well, that's what you Isn't need. that good? That's perfect. So uh, I'm really excited about taking that and trying it out more. Um, I've only had it a few days, but trying it out more and seeing what I can really get out of it. And obviously it pairs up with, yeah. um, if you want to be a more serious mobile photographer, it pairs up with the Profoto A2s, if you attach the Click Softbox Ultra. Yeah. When you're out, you've got a, a studio, studio lighting on your phone. 
it's this is 2022 we're there i know i tell you what <laughs> i really like about this um i really like side clips um, yeah for filming video yeah it's you know it, it just allows you to stabilize the camera uh, just a little bit more mm. um and you know when you're if you're doing if you're shooting natural isn't it completely and if more you, natural that way and if you're shooting uh if you're shooting a lot on your phone then that's you know that's just perfect mm. incredible yeah so that's that's a really cool product that we found there now you mentioned profile there's there's been a few new things coming out okay so uh i'm not sure whether the Profoto camera app's ready for ios 16 i'll i need to speak to marco and find that but uh in the meantime i'm staying with 15 until that's ready because of the a2 but then there's the uh the b10's had a firmware update b10x has had a firmware update to bring everything in line but in terms of new products, that's kind of your speciality. So what have you got? What have you heard? Well, I the thing that's, that really interests me is the, the Click Softbox. Yeah. That's, um, I saw that. Have you not had a go? I did. I haven't had a go yet, no. I didn't get a chance. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's the Click Softbox. <laughs> i tell you what, the first thing, I'm liking this already because this, this form factor is, that is. So the, a, the A2 is the size of a, coke can or a cup yeah there's the handle that attaches to whatever you want to attach it to light stand wise it's um it's there but then you'll find that on the clicks off course ultra there's also a mount to attach that to a light stand so, i mean the first thing i've got to say just by picking this up right this weighs nothing yeah um i have never owned a softbox right that folds this much i, I mean um, i just i tried to so for the reviews that i've done recently i tried to break the things i can't break them they just bend and then memory ten, uh, sends them back to the way they are yeah so, do you want me to show you or you there we go i think probably work it up that's it yep amazing that's, that's it. it that's it so there's a diffuser on the front there's a diffuser inside wow and then there are i think eight yeah there are eight of these yeah they're impossible to break i mean this it's crazy good but then that attaches to a light stand uh with a quarter twist and it's not tightens it once that's in position, you use this this button here on the finger yeah. to angle that part so on your light stand. And then here, look at this. Ready? The A2. Looking attached. Beautiful. Done. Fantastic. Have a little look. That is. Should we do a picture? You can. I mean, you can. Uh, if you hold the white button on the back, it turns it on. Okay. Connects to the phone. Amazing. So, I mean, just am I far? Okay, hey. Let's just sit. Okay, that's crazy bright. Give me a sec. I just need to change my settings. Now I've done my test shot. Turn the flash up. And the turn beat my so way out. Point it at you. I've got a glare. There we go. I want that. Here we go. So obviously I've got a fixed. <laughs> that's that's the shot right there. So I've got a fixed um, aperture because I'm using the lens on the iPhone, which is fixed at what one eight. Nice. Um, and that's with the sun hitting behind you. So Great. And it's not ideal. It could take a minute and do it properly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, obviously we'll show everyone on the screen. Yeah. Do you do you want to do one the other way? Because I'll show you how to yeah. use it. So. That's your flash power. Okay. 
So we're sitting at 6.4, ISO and shutter. They're the controls you have. You can put it on auto TTL, but uh, yeah. Do you want me there? Yeah, brief four, just look. Can't see me. Oh, yeah. Some there, but it should be getting under the hat and everything. Keep bringing it around the other side. Okay. That's it. Bring it up a little bit. Block the sun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Hanger, ready, steady, swing. Oh, okay. Let's bring that flash part up just a bit. So if if you have if you're doing mobile photography with this, I think if you're doing regular photography with the uh, Profoto control. Okay. That's it. Then once you you can put your phone on the tripod and yeah. put this on a light stand. Okay. And you can walk around and use a Bluetooth remote, or you can press the white button on the back of the flash, and it takes a photo when you press the button. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So easy. That's incredible. Cool, isn't it? Yeah. iPhone photography. Oh, isn't he beautiful? <laughs> yeah. Profoto A2. Click softbox ultra. Amazing. Great combination. So the, the um, Profoto camera app works with the A2, the C1 Plus, the B10, the B10X, the A10. I think that's, there might be one or two more, yeah. but basically the main. What's the overall power output on the A2 here? What's what? What's the overall power output on it? Don't know. Right. We can look. Nope. No, I don't know. Perfect. Um, it's without the Click Softbox Ultra. Good. You can overpower the sun with it. What's that? Hard pushed. But yeah, with, and you can get other magnetic modifiers that go on here, like grids. I think there's a snoot or if not a short snoot, maybe like a grid and you can get gels that attach magnetically. But if you're, you know, if you're an event photographer, I guess, I mean, you know, or if you're even, I suppose even as a, you know, a portrait photographer out on location, um, you know, if you're shooting, if you're shooting like engagements, you know, that sort of thing, this would be perfect. And it wastes nothing. I mean, this is the, the most incredible thing. I have, I have the, I don't know if it's charged, but I have the uh, controller that goes on a Nikon if you want to try it after we've finished yeah. recording. Absolutely. So what a fantastic product. <laughs> this is cool, isn't it? Yeah. So what's the, what's this, what's the price point? Well, I think it's about 800 or so. Okay. Worth it. So if you if you want that combination, you're looking at about nine fifty. Okay. But then you get your money's worth with it. Yeah. Um especially when you look at the fact that it's got the mobile photography app Pro Photo Camera as well, so you can control it in that way. Yeah. You can also remotely control the flash when you're connected to a regular camera with the Pro Photo Control app. Yeah. Um and you can put those of them together it, oh, it's a great product yeah so i i have done wedding photography and portrait photography but it's not my thing i've done it um and i moved away from using flash but this is this has pulled me back to it yeah really has i i mean you know i love using um using flash as you well know on location or in the studio 
um, because that's kind of what I do. But, um, you know, the portability of whatever flash system is a, is a major factor. That's actually one, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've always liked the... Um, Portability. The, the, Ready? The badges, yeah. Ready? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a complete... And then you're in the bag. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's such a great system. And, you know, again, what I love about this is to, like, just the simplicity of it. Yeah. This isn't, like, rocket science. It's just really cleverly done. Yeah. And... It's the kind of thing you look at it and go, why didn't someone already think of this? Exactly. Just like with the sense lab, where you look at it and go, why didn't someone else think of this? Yeah. It, it, it just works. Yeah. In my opinion, the things that work the best are the things that work without you noticing. Yeah. And this is one of them. Absolutely. And again, this would quite easily fit in my camera bag. Yeah. You know, this weighs, the softbox weighs absolutely nothing. So it's, you know, it's incredible. So you can get two Flick softbox ultras, Click softbox octas into a, a bag as well. So they're even more portable. Yeah. We just saw the first time I came across this was uh, I saw um, Sean Elizabeth's video mm -hmm. um, where she's on vacation and we're shooting with this. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, what is this thing? <laughs> what is this magical softbox thing you've got there? Fantastic. Mm. Yeah, love it. Fantastic product. So I'll be using some of those at Adobe Max as well if you want to keep an eye on my socials, I Dave Williams, along with the grip. Will, will be more uh it'll be put through its paces more by then let's put it that way so we'll see whether i still like it and i'm sure i will because it's a fantastic piece of kit and if there's any video i'm sure i'll be using the dji mics as well so this is just a small selection of all the like the standout products yeah um you know we came across at yeah. the show is you know again basically we've got a little table for the toys <laughs> yeah, really cool toys that we're in. So no matter whether you're, you know, into landscape or cityscape photography, the platypod is an absolute must, I think. Yeah. You know, whether it's a video. So I'm going to say on this point with a video, people will watch a bad video with good audio. Yes. But they will not listen to a good video with bad audio. Correct. If your sync is slightly out, if the quality of the audio isn't quite there they will turn off a lot quicker than if your video isn't good. Absolutely. Um, you know, Adobe, Adobe sure. are doing something interesting um, in terms of audio processing. Yes, um, and an acquisition. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, for, for everyone who is uh, who has seen uh, Glenn Dewis's recent video um, on that subject, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you haven't, I'll put a link in the description and make sure you check it out. I keep forgetting the name of this, so I, can I try and announce it? See if I get it right. Is it Shasta? Shasta. Shasta. Shasta? Yeah. I think I think that's how you pronounce it. Nobody knows. <laughs> it's funny because I was talking to lots of people at the show. I was like, you know, who came up with this name? No idea. I don't even know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Brilliant marketing. But either way, it's really good. Either way, it's fantastic. It's um, it's essentially, it's a really easy way to improve your audio. Yep. Um, get rid of background noise. Level everything out. Um, remove hums and clicks and yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it works very well. Um, it, actually, to be honest, it works astonishingly well. And um, there are a few downsides to it, um, especially when you have somebody who varies greatly in volume when they speak. Right. So uh, you know some like you know some people have this this tendency of you're saying something really loud. Yeah, and I can guarantee you that the last bit of the sentence 
it's going to disappear. Will ha- would have disappeared for us. So you know, the, the disadvantage. So I've, I have a different angle on disadvantages. Right. I think that the soundscaping is essential to a video. Absolutely. And it makes it natural. So when you've got somebody standing in a busy place, you expect to hear some ambient background noise, some traffic noise, some people, whatever. You expect to hear the soundscape. Yeah. And Shasta, Shasta, (laughs) this program does a really, really good job at removing all of it. So much so that you may have to then consider going and adding some ambient sounds back in. Yeah, so funny you mentioned that, um, because that's exactly what my thought process was on last week's episode at the photography show, because, I mean, you were there. It was a loud moment. It was loud. Yeah, it was yeah. tons of background noise. And, um, and you know, when I processed the audio for it, basically, there's zero background noise. It's literally clean voice audio. Um, and, you know, so I was, I was umming and ahhing as to whether... I was going to put some, you know, put fake people. crowd noise yeah. um, in there. Um, and in the end, I kind of decided not to do it, mainly because it would have meant that I would have been able to to get the episode out when, when it needed to go out. So I kind of thought, it was, you know, it's better to get it out and, uh, you know, and, and just yeah. call, it, call it done. But it makes know. it... So not, not digging at your episode then, if that's the reference, it makes it unnatural. It does make it unnatural. Yeah, yeah. That's there's it something. It, it, it doesn't join. Right. So the audio doesn't join up to what you're seeing in yeah. the video. I mean, luckily, so luckily for um, what we did at the, at the photography show, is we, well, of course, we were talking, predominantly we were talking to, to people. And generally, in the interview situations, it was fine because you couldn't really see a crowd. You know, yeah. just, you know. Just two people. Yeah, just two people talking. Um, there was, I think the only shot where it kind of irked me a little bit was the opening, just the introduction. Where I'm just, it's literally just me for a few seconds introducing the episode. And in that shot, I'm walking through one of the aisles. And of course, you can see stuff happening. And you'd expect more environmental noise there. Mm. Um, but uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. But, you know, it just, all it means is so we're removing all the bad noises that we didn't want but in as a result of that we were removing every other noise yeah. so we just need if we're going to do a proper production of of whatever yeah. we're separating the um the vocals the voice or whatever the, yeah. the person talking from the bad noises and we may need to then add some good noises yes, exactly. that's all it is because yeah. it's that good at what it does it's uh, i mean it is incredible i mean for zero effort hmm. it is plus button not even you just basically just drag and drop that's it that's all you gotta do drag and drop and then download the the, uh the processed file so you drag and drop it it's an online service Mm. and i imagine it's using a load of machine learning to do what it does and it's doing it really well i have a theory i think that um what adobe is doing is they are literally machine learning by you know, but, but basically analyzing all the files that people dropped yeah. into this. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see that feature you integrated know, into Premiere, Premiere Audition, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was that was yeah. the thing. Um, it's astonishing how well it works. Um, I mean, you know, you have background noise removal um, functions in Final Cut Pro, for example. Yeah. You know, but they don't work. Anywhere 
really as good as that. Yeah, there are, there are removal options and scenarios you can run in the audio panel in Premiere. Yeah. But this is just taking it up another another gear completely. So some weeks ago, um, Nick and I did an episode where we were driving around in his topless car, right? So we were driving around. Oh, it works now. Like, yeah, oh, I went yeah. to go for a ride with him and it didn't work. So I think it's a better <laughs> yeah. something, yeah. Yeah, the battery needs charging. But um, so we went uh, we went for a ride and the idea was basically he had a plug-in or a bunch of plugins um, that he wanted to test. And so we thought like, okay, well, we'll, we'll basically get in the car, we'll drive with the top down, we'll drive around for an hour or so and uh, we'll just use our lap mics. And that was it. Um, and then we'll see if he's able to essentially eradicate all mm. background noise and the wind noise and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I thought the end result was actually astonishing, really. I mean, I was in the car. It was loud, you know. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling that Project Shasta will be able to achieve a similar, if not the same result, with literally zero. I mean, you don't still got the original audio. Uh, Nick will have it, yeah. So you can do that test. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. It's, um, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting how far things have come, mm. you know, with that. So, so yeah. I mean, but as you say, good audio is essential. Yeah, absolutely. In a video. Glitching video is fine, but if yeah. the lips aren't synced, yeah. if the audio is off, if there's a hum or a crackle, people won't listen. Yeah. That's the deal breaker. It's not the video, it's the audio. Yeah. And so, you know, when it comes to audio, of course, the, the actual production side is important. So using the right microphones, yep. you know, um, using the right system, like, you know, this yep. DJI using system. Windshields. Exactly. Yep. That makes cans. a big difference. If you're wondering what this is, making little noise, that's a dent cat. <laughs> so, it is the ASMR edition of the Camera Shake podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so recording the recording the audio uh, properly in the first place is yep, important. Absolutely, of course. Well, that's why these things and those things, whatever else, are worth the investment. It's not just in the glass and the camera and the yeah. tripod. It's 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 the audio that goes with it. Yeah. Especially if you're one of these people that wants to make a serious go of video of YouTube or of any any TikToking or anything. Yeah, it's the audio that makes the difference. Yeah. Wait, I, mean, I remember uh, last time we. We met up in the in the wild. Yeah, you know uh, there was three of us. Obviously, there's Nick. Is Nick. Um, and uh, so we you know, we thought in advance. We thought you know we thought about how we're going to record the audio. Yeah. Uh, well, we didn't have the the wireless go tos at that point, so we thought, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to record it on a field recorder, mm. um, and we just simply used three Shure SM58s mm -hmm. for that. Um, they're really great vocal mics, mm -hmm. um, and they're great for you know for voice. Yep, um, and it works really well. It keeps audio. your hand busy. It keeps your hand busy as well. You know? Which is a good thing and a bad thing because yeah. now we've got two hands to play with the toys. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, but the end result was really good. In fact, we used the same method at the photography show last year, which, yeah. to be honest with you, was a pain in the ass because right. it meant you know dragging the field recorder around with us, syncing it all up afterwards, syncing up. Yeah, but it's it just you're purely from a practical point of view. At the show, it was it was a pain because yeah. you could carry all this stuff around, you could press record and all the rest of it. Um, so in that respect, actually, Rode made it really easy this year because um, you can get this interview microphone stick extension accessory thing, um, which uh, essentially is just a stick, like a, a handle, yeah. with 
a coupling for the uh, for the wireless go to, and then you put the windshield over the top, yeah. and it looks like a microphone. That's and cool. it worked. It worked great. Yeah, the fact that it was so lightweight and professional looking was cool as well. Yes, exactly. And I could just you know carry it around with me. I could put it in my back pocket, put it in my backpack, and you just whip it out, literally, you know, whenever you're interviewing somebody. Yeah. Um, and uh, it bobs your uncle, really. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a great thing. So, there are multiple ways of, of getting good audio, but it does, it's important to spend a minute thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Give it the time, because it, as I say, I'm going to say it again, it makes a difference. It's the thing that will switch people off. Yeah. Cool. Now, what else? We've got one more thing to discuss, and that's your latest book. Okay. The um, the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower effect. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the Eiffel Tower effect is the title of the book, but the reason it's named so is because it's a, a phrase I came up with to describe people on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when when places are made famous by Instagram, or when places are already famous and people go there and post their photos on Instagram. They suffer the Eiffel Tower effect, and that is that every photo is the same. Every angle is the same, every photo is the same, every girl in the big hat in the fields, in lavender fields in France, is the same photo. Every photo of the Eiffel Tower, you're standing at the top of the Trocadero and you're looking across and it's the same photo. You get to the Taj Mahal and there's a framed gateway and there's the Taj Mahal. It's the same photo. Everywhere suffers this, and it's a result of Instagram and influencers and everyone doing the same thing. And so this book goes into different ways that you can take different photos and how you can think differently as a photographer, whether it's a pro or as an amateur, or whether it's with a DSLR or mirrorless or iPhone, different ways to think about creating different photos of, of places that people recognize and therefore breaking the trend and not suffering the Eiffel Tower effect. Does things like get down low think? One of the things that I talk about in there that I've, I've spoken about in blog posts and in classes before is eye level and shooting level at eye level. So when you're walking down the street, you're looking at everything from your eye level and you're looking level. So if you see a photo that's there, it's familiar, it, it, there's nothing special about it. Whereas if you go down low or up high or come from a different angle, you're breaking that trend of being level at eye level and you can create awesome photos. The platypod is something that helps you do that. An extension pole or a tripod held above your head or climbing a wall the whole safely. Um, and getting all these different angles helps in that sense. And then thinking about things like the composition, the time of day, the color, the seasons, all these different things are all discussed in the book about how to create a, a unique photo of a familiar place and therefore not suffering the Eiffel Tower effect. Don't make the mistake of thinking it's about the Eiffel Tower. It's not. It's just that the Eiffel Tower is the most photographed thing in the world. And so that's the reason I landed on that name to describe this symptomatic, terrible thing that people do of, of taking the same photos. We, yeah. we deal with those symptoms and we address it and we, we teach how to, how to shoot differently. Yeah, I wish I'd read this book. Um, before I went to Lake Louise last time, because it's... Uh, did you stand on the shore, there's a cafe on the left, and you shot down the mountain? Well... Is that what you did? It's basically... Yeah, <laughs> With pretty the much. hotel behind you? Well, yeah, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly... It was actually that's exactly what happened. Basically, we got there um, after... I don't know how long... It, how long what is it? It's probably an hour and a half drive or something from camera, I guess, something like that. Yeah. We got there, um, and I was, I was starving. 
I was starving. I could have eaten a freaking reindeer in. <laughs> and we got there. And of course, this, you know, as you walk up to the lake, you've got the hotel on the right hand side yeah. and you've got, um, you've got a jetty and you've got like a, a cafe and a boat hut. Yeah. Boat hut on the, on yeah. the left. Right. And so everybody was on the jetty taking the same picture, yeah. the same pictures that you've seen a million times on, yeah. you know, on, on the internet or on postcards or whatever. Right. It's the V shape yeah. kind of, you know, backdrop to, uh, to the lake. And I literally just went, okay, well, that'll do. Took a few pictures. <laughs> and then it was burger time yep. right after that. So you were level at eye level. Level at eye level. Yeah. That's You're it. Looking at the same scene everyone else looks at. I may have nailed down. I can't remember. But uh, that's as far as it went. Um, and then, of course, when we got back, I kind of thought, of what an idiot. I should have eaten first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I was just taking my time. Because there were so many interesting angles. Um, the boat hut is a really great angle down there. Yeah. You know, especially when you have some uh, canoes in the foreground or something, or you know, or, or some activity going on there. Um, you could just walk around the lake you know, and find some interesting angles there. It's a beautiful place. You could even go out on a boat. And that's where there really is a Bigfoot as well. Yeah. Oh, right. Mm. Tell you know. Just around the... So, Lake Louise, you go down the road from Lake Louise towards the main road, the Icefields Parkway. Yeah. You go left, go for about five kilometers and then turn right. You go up towards, um, you go on the David Thompson Highway. When you get onto that highway, there's a sign that says, welcome to our backyard. And it's a picture of Sasquatch. No, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So it's a true story. <laughs> well, I knew it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> there was some weird activity going on in the, in the backyard, I think. I put it down to uh, raccoons, but you know, food yeah, those they're annoying. Yeah, um, yeah. So the after effect does that, but I, I mean, there's lots of places like looking at the Rocky Mountains, Lake Louise, Banff, Jasper, Hinton, all those places. There, people do that drive on the Icefields Parkway, and everyone ends up with the same pictures. Yeah. So it, it, it's there are just so many techniques in the book that tell you how to overcome that. Yeah. And this is this how to think differently when you're shooting to yeah. find your own creative voice. This is weird thing where I think you know people sometimes want to get their picture because they've seen it so many times they kind of go, "Well, oh, if I can yeah. really get their picture, that's fine. Go and get that picture. Yeah, exactly. Get your own as well. But then do some other. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, well, I mean, we talked about the the platypus, uh, platypus, the platypod earlier, mm. and of course, it's a perfect device to get some different angles. Yeah, if you're trying to get out of that rut, basically. Yeah. I use it all the time, uh, hiking, lightweight. If I need a long exposure, if I need to evade the tripod police, I'm doing architectures, uh, interiors of nice churches, nice museums, things mm -hmm. like that. It's a beautiful device to help. And that's something I talk about in the book uh, as well. But color theory is another thing I go into. Why we shoot at certain times of day to get unique things and why the season makes a huge difference as well. Um, so it's not just level at eye level. There are so many, I think there are, there's, there's about 10 major um, ideas, but then it, I go into detail about how I also explain how Instagram works and how to stand out on Instagram if that's the direction you want to go. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a cool book, right? Yeah, absolutely, cool book. <laughs> absolutely cool. Have you got any plans for any future books? Um, I'm thinking about a biographical sort of the stories that of, of the crazy situations, yeah. And the things I've learned, things I've learned from different cultures and different countries, different experiences. Um, I'm not sure if anyone would buy it though, so let me know if you would. But I think um, I think that's a, an idea worth looking at because I have I've seen lots of things, I've been to lots of places, I've got lots of stories, 
like different customs and different ways of life and different ways of thinking that I've brought into my own existence. I think, personally, I think that could work. If really they were well. written down, it, it could work really well. Well, first of all, because I think, I think there's definitely you know people like to follow somebody who travels. Yeah. Um, people like to live vicariously and do the things they can't do through someone else. Could have some great stories. I mean, you know, only only recently, you know, we've had Ewan McGregor and yeah, long way down, up, down, up, across, around. one of those, yeah, yeah, all of them. You know, that's that's a really interesting thing to follow. Um, then the first one of the first books I ever read when I was a kid uh, was a book that I that I sort of found in my granddad's bookshelf, and it was it was a dude I can't remember. Some guy who cycled around the world back in the fifties, and it was a super interesting read, you know. And it's the same thing. It's like you read about all the stories, you know, all the things that happened along the way. And yeah, yeah. It's just whether anyone wants to publish it or whether I do it myself, really. Whether anyone reads it or not. The other thing, <laughs> I tell you what. The other thing I came across recently, and of course that's you know because I'm a, I'm a brand new uh, Vespa owner. Um, this uh, this this uh, this lady in, I want to say somewhere in the south of England maybe Dorset actually mm. um, but she took a Vespa she brought a Vespa from from the south of England all the way to Mongolia oh wow then picked up a street dog yeah um, randomly and then made made her way back through Russia all the way back to the UK on a Vespa with the dog with the dog that's crazy with the dog on the back that's a story yeah and so uh, you know that was um, that was a super interesting story yeah so I think, you know, there, there's something in those. Yeah, it's, it's just whether anyone's interested in reading the things I've, yeah. you know, learned and experienced. So when I graduated from high school, one of my friends um, cycled from the south of Germany to India, mm-hmm. and it took absolutely forever. It, it, you know, the whole thing was in, in the planning for about a year and a half or something. He had lots of sponsors and got everything tied up. Mm-hmm. Um, he went all the way to India came back and then of course lots of newspapers were interested in him I think he gave two interviews and that was it mm-hmm. and then I met him like a year later or something I said like dude that's such an interesting thing why didn't you write a book and he goes like you know what I thought about it and then I thought all of these experiences they're really just my own personal experiences yeah. and I just don't want to write a book I know that so yeah that's another thing that's crossed my mind there are things that won't make it into the book if I do because mm. they're like someone asked me especially with the Northern Lights, do I ever just go and look and not take a camera? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I I like to experience the things without having to take a picture or feeling the need to take a picture. And it's the same thing. It's, it translates across, doesn't it? Sometimes I just want to have the experience. I don't need to write about it, share about it, TikTok about it, Instagram, whatever. I'm just, ha- it's just for me. I'm just having the experience. That's when the meteorite came. In, right. Do you remember seeing that on my story? I've um, so I'm sitting in Swedish Lapland, near Kiruna, not far from Kiruna, uh, and there's um, there's a nice lake, and the gate to Lapland, and the Northern Lights came out, and I thought I'm just going to enjoy this. This is just going to be for me. And I'm sitting up on the bed, looking my head's out of the skylight. I'm looking out at the Northern Lights dancing in the sky, and then suddenly, I see this fireball a, a, a fireball I'm not it, it's not like a sliver or a shooting star it's a fireball you can see the smoke coming off the back of it where it's so hot and the air is so cold 
you can hear it crackling and then it hit the ground maybe 100 meters away from me and you could hear the thud but the snow was so deep i was ankle deep and waist deep after trying to find it but anyway yeah so this meteorite came down i didn't have my camera out so i didn't see it record it capture it but i went looking for it for the next uh, immediately for a couple of hours in the dark and then again the next morning see if i could find where it landed in the snow so yeah these things you have experiences that you keep quiet or you keep to yourself or you don't take photos or videos of and that's one of them so that's maybe that's worthy of the book it's an interesting story I'd like to go back when the, the snow's up there and see if I... Because I know where it landed. See if I can find it. Right. <laughs> it's got to be worth the fortune. Is it usually easier to find a meteorite on the snow? Because it's the only thing that's... Well, it's so. it's powder snow. Right. And this thing's coming at however many hundreds of miles an hour. Yeah. So what I was looking for was a hole in the snow. Yeah. Because it must have just gone straight in yeah. and made a hole. So I was looking for a hole in the snow, shining a torch, looking for contrast to... Yeah. I actually do remember that story now. Yeah. Now you talk about it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, things have happened. I've had, I've had some, I've got some things to write about. It's just whether I do or not. Right. Well, maybe if you're listening to this, um, or if you're if you're still watching, um, then uh, you know, let us know. Let us know if if you want Dave to write about his adventures. Yeah. If I did, it would be called "Once in a Lifetime." It, uh, to go along with my tagline, "Once in a Lifetime" as often as you can, because you should. You get one life, live it to the live it to the max. You get one shot, one opportunity to do all these things, then take that opportunity because you'll have all these experiences. You'll see things happen in the middle of the Arctic and meteorites crashing down to earth, Sasquatches walking through the Rockies, whatever it may be, take the opportunity. Once in a lifetime, it shouldn't be a once in a lifetime thing. You should take every once in a lifetime opportunity as often as you can and live your life. If that means living in a van for a bit, that's what I'm doing. But take your your own interpretation of that, yeah. and and have fun. That's it. Once in a lifetime, as often as you can. Exactly. That's a great way to end this episode, Dave. It's been a pleasure as always. I'm sure we'll see. Thanks, dude. Much more of you uh, on the podcast. Yeah. Come on, Tommy. Catch up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that is it. We've come to the end of Camera Shake Podcast episode 122. Hope you enjoyed this. Um, And we'll be back next week. Nice.